Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder anew the ancient and sacred stories of Scripture and what they mean for our time and our place. And this is our second season, and in this second season, we're looking at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts records what the Holy Spirit did through the early followers of Jesus in the 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're looking at it because the, the book portrays the early Christians and their community. Uh, and I think today we're, we're in a world that desperately needs community. And so today I, I want us to think about how a community comes together and then is ready to be mobilized. To, to move beyond itself. So without further ado, we'll get looking at the joy of community. So after Jesus has been taken to heaven and he has commissioned or sent out the apostles, we looked at that last week, I want you then to turn to uh, chapter 10, sorry, chapter 1 of the book of Acts, verse 12. And I'm going to be reading to you from the Good News Bible, which is a Bible that I got, I think, when I was in elementary school at my church, today's English version. Then the apostles went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is about a half a mile away from the city. They entered the city and went up to the room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Patriot, and Judas, son of James. They gathered together frequently to pray as a group, together with the women, and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, a couple things to just draw our attention to here. First of all, I want you to notice where they are. It, it tells us, Luke tells us, that they are back in Jerusalem. And we all know that in terms of holy cities around the world, Jerusalem gets a lot of points in terms of the holiness scale. Um, right? Both Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all have major events taking place in, in Jerusalem. Um, but there's even a specific territory where they are. And it's, they, it says that they entered the room where they were staying. Um, they're in the upper room again. That's the, the Greek is even a little more clear here, but they're, they're in the upper room where Jesus and the disciples celebrated the Passover. And, you know, if you had a monopoly board of sort of religiously important places, I'm, I'm thinking that unless you break up the cross and empty tomb, which are really close to one another, as two separate properties. This is going to be sort of one of those green or blue sort of properties, right? This is this is prime real estate. It is the the upper room. Okay. Second thing that I want you to observe is who was there. Okay. Well, it lists all these Peter, Peter, John, James, etc. Um, and there's also a number of women, which. From the beginning, the Christian community is going to include a, a lot of women, and in fact, women even in various leadership roles. But what's I want you to just think about, though, um, 
almost every story that we have about Jesus Christ in the scripture. Again, every story we have about uh, the Jesus before his resurrection comes from one of the people in this room. Like all the data we have, all the biographical data we have about Jesus is, is contained within these people, right? Mark writes his gospel and he probably, that we suspect he derived a lot of it from, from Peter, right? Um, Right. The, there's some, some thought that maybe Luke got some information from Mary. There's all these speculations about where they got it from, but th- there aren't any others than those who are in this room who really have the data about what they saw Jesus do and, and his teaching. So it's like all of the important people in uh, the gospel, half, you could argue outside of the Pauline letters, almost all of the New Testament is coming right from from these people. So you got the the holy place, and you got the holy people. And what are they doing? Well, they're doing the most churchy things you can imagine. They are gathering frequently to pray. Again, there may be other religious activities, but you, you can't, again, sort of get more churchy than praying. So you've got the right people, in the right place, doing the right things. So this should produce something really dynamic and amazing. But it, it actually doesn't. It actually doesn't. What happens next is that a few days later, sorry, a few days later, Peter gathers. And it looks like they, they, uh, there's 120 there, so I can't see them all in the room right now. But somehow they have some camp meeting. And Peter gets up, and he's actually going to quote Scripture. Right, This is his first sermon. He quotes the Psalms. And what he's quoting the Psalms is to justify their need to, to put another person in leadership. And, um, and, and I want you to hear the criteria. So then someone must join us as a witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He must be one of the men who were in our group during the whole time that the Lord Jesus traveled about with us, beginning from the time that John preaches messages of baptism until the day Jesus was taken up from heaven. Okay. So what they do, all the holy people... In, in the most holy spot in really sort of all of Christianity, arguably, um, doing the right stuff, praying, what, what they end up doing is they, they fill a committee spot with somebody who's been around a long time. <sighs> Again, they, they fill a committee spot because there has to be 12, because that's a biblical number, and the criteria used has nothing to do with internal character, has nothing to do with sort of devotion, other than the person's been around for a long time. And so I jokingly refer to this as First Lutheran Church of Jerusalem because you've got the best people in the best place doing the most churchy things, and the, the culmination of their efforts is to fill committee spots. It is, uh, it is rather sobering. They are not yet ready for 
mission. They're not yet ready for, for mission. So some questions for you. Have you ever felt like you have been part of a church that has had the right people in the right place doing churchy things but hasn't been invested in outreach? And have you thought about why? Have you ever been a part of a team, uh, an organization where you seem to have a really great location, really good people, you sort of are doing the stuff you should be doing, but the energy is almost all focused in rather than out. So what's going on here? Well, the theologically correct answer is that the early church hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit, which Jesus had promised. But I'd I'd like us to um, scratch a little bit deeper than that, because the answer is always like, you know, Jesus wasn't there. Or I want want to scratch a little bit deeper than just saying the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. Because I think there's some things we can learn here about what was necessary for the organization, for the church, in terms of their becoming a community that would actually fulfill the mission of Jesus that he had given them, which we talked about last time, uh, to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, and they're not quite ready for that. And, and the first thing that I want to sort of uh, address here is that in order for a system, an organization, a community to reach beyond itself, it's often necessary for um, that group, that team to really connect. I mean, the cheesy thing here is like all the sports movies ever where things are looking bad and somehow the team chemistry has to change and two alpha dogs have to sort of, you know, come to peace with each other and then everybody gets along and they win, right? So, you, so maybe it's something as basic as that. But I, but I think what it really is, again, is that in order for churches to be engaged in reaching beyond themselves, they often need first to come together. And there's, in fact, this... Sometimes we'll call it in, up, and out discipleship. That the the way the community functions is we uh, sort of are drawn together, and then we're drawn up to God, and then God draws us out. As Lutherans, I might want to phrase it slightly differently, but but the point is is that there's this this sort of movement in in the community before we go out beyond our walls of, of coming together. And so if you notice, what happens here is that the community is is drawn together and and then that allows uh, that now they're starting to move into prayer and they're even starting to engage what scripture means uh, and then they finally can move beyond themselves which is going to happen in Acts chapter 2. So uh, have you been a part of a church community where you have seen this happen where a, a period of, of new outreach was preceded by some sort of coming together? Um, or have you been a part of really an organization? Where you, sort of, you just needed to sort of pull yourselves together, have more face-to-face time, go on that team-building retreat, uh, just sort of ha- have time together before you could really move up and, and out. I want to be a little bit, dig even a little bit deeper though. And, and that is that the, the early church is grieving 
And at the end of Luke chapter 24, what they're grieving is the death and resurrection or the death of Jesus Christ. But I think here they're grieving something different. And I think what they're grieving here is the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus. And I think they're, they're, they're um, grieving that, that Judas betrayed Jesus. And, and Peter even uses the words here uh, in verse um, 13. Judas, who was a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Um, my, my sense is that in order for uh, a system, a team, a community to be healthy, we, we have to be able to name the grief and, and to figure out a way to, to process it. And, and Peter here begins to use scripture to process grief for the community. Have you had this experience where in your family, in your church, in another organization where you were sort of floundering as a unit because there was some grief in the system that wasn't being addressed, that, that wasn't being discussed, described, uh, processed, and so forth. Well, that's what's, what's happening here. They're able to, again, process this grief, and now they're going to be able to move on. Want to actually, though, take an excursus on Judas, and I find it um, Judas will always be a haunting character in the, the Christian story. Peter really should have, in, in cultures of oral, that, that are oral and not written cultures, you know, the Galilean peasants. Your word was your bond. And so for Peter to have denied Jesus three times is really, in sort of betrayal rank, not, not really much different than, than what Judas did. And why is it that Judas is the one who ends up killing himself and Peter goes on to redemption? And, and I've heard some, some various answers to this. One is that uh, Peter actually uh, has a word of promise from Jesus that Judas doesn't. Um, and I think there, there, is, there is some truth there. But again, that will always be one of the, the unsettled sort of mysteries. Um, why Judas, Judas? What was his fate? Um, did Jesus forgive him? All sorts of things like this. So that's just, you know, again, you can... That has nothing to do right now with, with per se community. Um, other than maybe the interesting question is that, you know, who in communities you have been a part of, who are the family members that fell, yet, or the, the team members, the church members who did terrible things, who were welcomed somehow back into the community, and who were those who were eternally banished, and, and what was the difference, and really wasn't all that rational. But, um, but I... I Again, bigger picture, this, this study is about uh, sort of what it takes for a community to sort of uh, really become mobilized um, and what are some, some, maybe some steps that it has to take. Um, but I would say uh, grief and, and dealing with um, 
failure of expect failures, failures around expectations, and so forth is is really important. The other thing that I would like to suggest is that the community here uh, does something kind of backwards and and not really helpful. And what they decide to do um, is to pick somebody who can fill in for for Judas. And they they have a really contorted reasoning for everything. And that again, they sort of have this number that they want. Twelve is this great biblical number. And they the criteria is this person's been around. And then the way they're actually going to do it is they're going to trust the Holy Spirit and they're going to cast lots. Side note here, the word for lot is related to the word kleros and cler. It comes into English as cleric. The, the word cleric, like clericalism, pastor, priest, actually comes from here, this casting of lots. Um, but anyway, that's just a little tidbit there. But so he... So they select this person to to be the the follower. So it says this. So they proposed two men, Joseph, who was called uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know the thoughts of everyone, so show us which of these two you have chosen to serve as an apostle in the place of Judas, who left to go to the place where he belongs. Oh, that's how my translation has it. Then they drew lots to choose between the two men and the one chosen from Matthias, who was added to the group of 11 apostles. Uh, Matthias is never heard from again in the New Testament. Nowhere. Nowhere else. It's kind of strange. And what I think Luke is trying to get at here is that just because somebody knew the earthly Jesus doesn't mean that they had the heart or the leader skills to be a leader in the early church. And you figure by the time Luke is writing the book of Acts, the first generation of apostles is dying out, and you're now having people who haven't met Jesus. And I, and I can't help but wonder if Luke includes this story to sort of make the comment, you didn't need to meet the actual Jesus. Luke never met the actual Jesus in the physical, earthly flesh to be a follower and to be a leader in the church. Turns out it wasn't uh, you know, sort of who you know. Uh, it's not what family you've been a part of. It's not how long you've been a member of the church. That There's some other criteria that is necessary for discipleship, that is necessary for leadership in the church. And you're going to have to hang out a couple chapters until we get to another point in which that's going to become really clear when they do another selection of leaders. But uh, again, just um, this is just a word on church councils. If you're ever a part of them or any kind of church leadership, uh, simply don't fill for a given number with the sort of longest or oldest living members of the church. That's not the criteria for Christian leadership. And so what I... The, uh, so, yes, have you ever been a part of a system, of a group, of a team, of a community that elected leadership not based on a skill set, but sort of a sort of who's who's been lingering here the longest? Um, or you just were really confused about why they chose leaders. Um, again, we'll get later on to how the church should choose leaders. But 
uh, but for now, we'll just think about, have you ever been in those situations where the, you kind of wonder why they chose who they chose? The, um, but what I want to suggest here is that um, communities, even communities of faith, don't always get it right. Again, communities, communities of faith don't always get it right. And I think part of the journey of, of moving from a group of people to a community, to a community that's set on fire for the sake of, of others beyond is a journey that includes making mistakes. You know, like our church right now, this last week, uh, once again, had to sort of update our COVID protocols as the Delta variant's coming back. And it's really hard. And a lot of people discussed and prayed and contemplated knowing that whatever we decided wasn't going to make everybody happy. And we may have made a mistake. We may not have, have hit the target. Um, so, so I think just a little bit of word of grace here that it turns out that uh, even churchy people, even the right people doing the right things in the right place, don't always get it right. But it turns out that their selection of Matthias ultimately isn't going to get them in the way. There's going to be a different criteria they're going to have to learn for leadership that's ultimately going to allow them to move beyond their walls. But um, that act in itself does not prohibit uh, the work of the Lord in that community. So uh, again, I, I love Acts 1. I find it, again, funny, <laughs> sad, bitter irony, how the right people in the right place doing the churchy things don't, don't get it all right. And when I was younger, again, I looked at that kind of cynically like, but now I see that there's, there's just some steps that, that need to happen for a community to really become one on fire uh, for, for the Lord, really one that's effective in whatever its goals are, but specifically in the church of, of reaching beyond itself. And that is there, there needs to be a coming together. There needs to be a time of fellowship and prayer and, and recommitting and reconnecting to each other, of, of determining really who's in and who's not. There, there needs to be a time of, of processing the grief that uh, an organization has, has likely had or that we as family or friends have experienced. And then lastly, that it's okay to make mistakes, that the journey to becoming a healthier uh, team, one that actually can ultimately, whether you're in a business or in a church or just in a nonprofit, can sort of fulfill the mission to which uh, you sense God calling you, you're going to have mistakes along that way, even right people in the right place doing the right prayerful things. So that's my reflection here, uh, finishing out chapter uh, one. So I think the first week we covered three verses, the second week you know, um, almost seven or eight verses, and now we almost got up to a, a, a whopping, you know, 20 verses, so we're 24 verses, so we're flying at light speed here now. Um, but yeah, so we're just, again, we're in this book of Acts, reflecting on what it means to be community. Hopefully today gave you some things to think about within your own particular uh, Christian context, but even maybe even your uh, broader sort of context about how do we move from just people together or how do we regroup after a loss to moving to an effective team that really is doing something hopefully beyond just ourselves. So again, uh, we're having fun uh, meeting at, at the pub once a week, but I know many of you aren't able to do that, but still enjoying listening, uh, emailing me uh, questions or, or comments. That's, that's great. And so I'll wrap up with a prayer for us today. Lord, we pray 
for leadership in our communities, in our nation, in our churches, in our family. Give us strength to confront griefs that linger. Give us patience and prayer with each other as we await the coming of your Spirit. And give us a sense of your forgiveness as we often stumble and struggle to do your will. And above all, give us courage, courage to follow you together. Amen.